Welcome to Pass the Power with me, Paige Parker. Probably like you, I have been curious about successful people all of my life. With this podcast, I hope to talk with accomplished folks, offering a bit of their backstory, but mostly allowing them to share pearls of wisdom personally and professionally, and perhaps a few secrets on how to live life fully and with passion in order to pass the power on to you. This episode concludes season one, which had me talking, learning, and sharing with thought leaders like Professor Tommy Ko, Tan Sushan of DBS, and Kenny Ting of Asian Civilizations Museum. So how to wrap up the season? Well, there's no one better than my daughter, Hilton Rogers, formerly known as Happy. We're gonna get to that in the podcast, I promise. And wait for it, drum roll please. Hilton's father and my husband of 20 years, Jim Rogers, and all of us together to chat on life, love, and family. Welcome to Pass the Power. Hooray. Thank you. Okay, I want to begin with a prickly one, Jim. You've been married before, ages before we met. So how are you a different and hopefully better husband now? Well, it's clear that it's much, much, much better because this marriage has lasted over 20 years. The others were gone before I remembered. So how have you improved? I don't know how I improved. Whatever I did, it must be you. But you must be I'm the divine. Ah, must be answer. you. That's, that's the answer. For. You are the answer. You have made me a better husband, a better man, a better everything. But honestly, do you think you work harder now than you did then on the marriage? I, whatever I have done or whatever we have done, it has worked. It did not work before. It was absurd before. I'm more interested. I want to do it. No, I'm very much in love, etc. So listeners, after Jim and I traveled the world, we visited 116 countries together and we gained a Guinness World Record, which I feel like is a serious flex. When we first talked of having children, Jim said, let's go for it. But I wasn't sure you were truly keen because you were older and if you wanted children, you could have had them by then. But then Hilton arrived. So can you tell us what it was like having your first child as an older person and how it changed you? Well, I, it was before the trip that when we talked about it, I was against children all my life. I'd been very, very much against children. I thought children were a waste of time, energy, money, everything. I felt sorry for my friends who had children who ruined their lives. But then after the trip, you said, and I said, well, 60 is a little young to settle down, but if I'm ever going to try it, let's try it now. So we did, and lo and behold, you were exactly right or Something was exactly right, because Hilton came along. It was the best thing I've ever done. If there's anybody listening to this who hasn't done it, and you're old enough, I urge you to get on with it, you know, get it done, because it's a fabulous, do it for yourself, do it for the world. So funny story, Jim and I could not agree on a name for Hilton. And so we decided that I would get two names and Jim would get two names. And then immediately upon Happy arriving, still kind of, you know, I don't want to be gory, but still bloody, you know, I mean, she's just come out of me and Jim is holding my hand and he says to me, you may have all four names. I didn't know that. He was so overwhelmed with love when he saw Hilton that he said, of course, I actually chose three of my family names and then I was going to have Rogers on the end. And my mother wisely said, I still think you should have two Rogers names and two of your names so that there's never any kind of aggro in the future. So Jim, when you had your second child, B, was it different? 
Well, clearly, then I'd had a little bit of experience. I'd had five years of children. I knew that children were fabulous and that everybody should do it. I knew that Hilton was an extraordinary child and it was a lot of fun. So I was looking forward to the second child. But did you feel like I delivered your mini-me? Because B is so much like you. She's stubborn, she's driven, she's single-minded. Are you a little bit scared at times? Well, I, I would describe her as smart, energetic, and a lot of fun, <laughs> rather than your description. Well, she's those things too, but she has a lot of your... I feel that she has some of our strongest qualities, both of us. I hope that both of my children have all of my strong qualities. So I talked about the naming of Hilton before with four names, and both of our daughters have long family names. B is Belen Anderson Parker Rogers, and Hilton is Hilton Augusta Parker Rogers. And for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you know that Hilton used to be happy since she was two used years- Used to be named happy. Yeah, we called her happy. Her given name is obviously Hilton, but we were calling her happy because when she was two, her Chinese name was Kuai Le, which meant- Happy. You want to say it in Chinese, happy? Quite little. Yeah. So one day someone asked her in English, what's your name? And she said, it's happy. And so we started calling her happy instead of Hilton Augusta, which is what we were calling her. But now she's Hilton. And I want her to tell us why in the past year you've decided it's no longer appropriate to be happy. I don't know. I feel like it just hasn't been just the last year. It's been a long time coming. It's just that Happy Rogers is more of a, it's not a very 17-year-old name. You know, it's not even a 16-year-old name or 15-year-old name. It's a lovely name, and I loved, that was what I was known as. I mean, Chinese is such a big part of my life that being happy was fine with me. But then I think I just sort of decided that I needed to grow up a little bit, and happy is always probably going to be something of a stage name, especially to do with China. But Hilton is who I want to be now, and I've been working very hard to get my parents to call me by my real name. <laughs> it's tough. So you talked about the Mandarin. Jim and I actually left New York when you were four years old to move to Singapore so you could be immersed in Asia and Mandarin. And then you went to a local SAP school here, a Chinese-centric school. You were the only blue-eyed child. Was it ever a big deal that you were different? I think it wasn't a big deal when I was at primary school, but then once I hit sort of 12 or 13, I started realizing just how different I was. I started realizing that I was the only one with light hair, I was the only one with blue eyes, I was the only one whose parents were very different, couldn't speak a word of Chinese. And it was okay. I mean, I certainly... <laughs> but she said she speaks a little, I said not that well. But they certainly are trying, but still, they've never been able to speak Chinese. I mean, they are by no means Singaporean or Chinese in any way, which is fine. But once I hit 12 or 13, I think probably just being a teenager meant that I started to realize and it got to me a little bit just because I was literally the only appearance wise different person in a school of 2000 kids. But I eventually realized that I might as well just suck it up and mine never matter because that was what made me different and therefore special, I guess. And now you're in your final year of boarding school in the UK. Yes. Jim, did you ever imagine your daughter would leave you? before going off to university for boarding school? I was very much against it. I didn't want her to leave. I was late having children and she was changed my life. But I now realize it was a very, very good thing. She was smarter than I was and made the right decision. I did have to work very hard to convince them. They were completely against it. I started thinking about it when I was probably 14 or 15. And then I left when I was 16 and a half and I had to try very hard to convince them. But eventually they relented because I think they knew that it was what my heart was set on. 
And I did enough homework because I didn't know about boarding schools. Neither Jim nor I went to one. And so I looked and I found what I thought were the best two schools in the UK, both of which offer Mandarin. And so Happy ended up applying and getting in. Hilton uh, applied and got into both. So now she's at Cheltenham Ladies College in the UK. And Hilton is also, I know you're doing your university search. It's been fascinating for you. And I know you're keen on the U.S., And I wonder if it's about the schools or if you just want to know your home country a bit better. I think definitely applying to the U.S. And I've applied to, what, 15 schools in the U.S., 15 universities. I think it definitely has something to do with the fact that I haven't lived completely in the U.S. and I want to reconnect with American heritage for what that's worth. If you'd asked me maybe two months ago, I would have been completely adamant on going to America for school. But now, as I've been learning more about British universities and English universities, I'm starting to realize that maybe I shouldn't be so stubborn about it. But I genuinely, I have absolutely no clue where I'm going to go. So, But you have not applied to China. I have not applied to anywhere but the U.S. and U.K., no. I wanted her to go to, to China, to, to university, but I have learned, now that I've been a parent for a while, is you should listen to them because whether you know it or not, they usually know what they want and they're the best one to decide. So do you think you're going to study Mandarin or Asian studies in university? At some universities, yes, I've applied to either Chinese or East Asian studies or Oriental studies is what they call it in England. But I also like that in the U.S., the first year or two, depending on the school, you get to sort of just do a myriad of different subjects and different majors. And since I don't know what I want to do with my life, that is a good system for me to figure out if I do want to do Chinese or if I want to do something else entirely. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the wonderful part about studying in the U.S. is that you do have those two years as opposed to the U.K. where you go in specific on your major And not many kids at 18 know exactly what they want to do. I have no clue. Right, right. More on Pass the Power after the break. So I wonder, because it's obvious, I mean, we moved to Asia and the Mandarin was super important for Jim and for me to share with our children. Do you think that that fluency is as important as we do? We brought you to Asia and now you're leaving Asia. You want to leave? Yes. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you brought me to Asia and I spent many of my formative years and much of my childhood has been spent in Asia and connected to Singapore and to China. But I think that If y'all weren't so keen on Chinese, certainly I would not be. I mean, it's not necessarily natural for someone, for an American kid, for a Caucasian kid to speak Chinese at 18 or 17. But I think because I've grown up with y'all and because both of you are such avid Sinophiles, I've realized that, I mean, there's some truth. There's a lot of truth to the fact that China's on the rise and me being able to speak Chinese and my sister being able to speak Chinese is going to be something that's really going to help us in the future. I'm very, very, very grateful that y'all taught us Chinese. Good. That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. So Hilton, when I was little, girls were pretty or smart. And it seems that today girls are expected to be both. So do you feel pressure to be almost perfect? Well, the extent to which I am either is debatable, but I mean, smart and pretty, I feel like there is definitely a different standard to which girls are held than than, than boys are. I need to look good, but at the same time, I can't show too much skin. I can't be too revealing in the way that I dress, but I also can't be too dowdy. I have to walk the perfect fine line. I 
I'm supposed to be smart and I'm supposed to be confident and brave, but at the same time, I can't brag about it because if I put out there constantly everything that I've done in my life, I'm seen as a massive braggart. But to be fair, if a boy were to do the same, that would not be the same kind of way that society would look at them. So I think there's definitely a double standard that girls and boys are held to in 2021. And do you think on social media, do you think women are showing and girls are showing too much skin on TikTok and Instagram? Well, I feel like I know your view on that kind of sort. And you've written an excellent column for the Straits Times on that. But I think, I don't know, the argument that girls are showing too much skin on social media, to me, that comes from the perspective of what they call the male gaze in that what a man thinks or says or acts like should not dictate the length of my skirt or if I show my shoulders or my knees. That's not how I want to live my life because I need to just live it without thinking constantly about what men all over the world, many of whom are not necessarily good people, are going to think about the way that I dress and live my life. What's interesting because you're so progressive in that thought which I agree with, but yet B, who is your younger sister, who's 13 now, is quite, she, she thinks sometimes that I show too much skin on TikTok. She's, inc- I don't know where it's come from because I think our family's fairly progressive and liberal in terms of that kind of stuff, but she's incredibly conservative. She thinks that I'm a bit of a sleaze, which anybody who knows me knows that I am the farthest thing from a sleaze. So I don't quite know where that kind of thought has come from, but probably when I was 12 or 13, I probably have the same kind of idea that I needed to be really careful, probably also perpetuated by the fact that adults in my life were telling me I needed to be wary of other men. Well, speaking of wary, there's so much toxicity on social media that Jim and I are very conscious of. So I know you have some haters and you even have some shamers and you have some men who've been flat out crude on your social media. How do you deal with that? I think young people are interested to hear and also parents out there, are list- they want to know what you're dealing with. Well, I mean, I have, I think, five or 6,000 followers on Instagram, which is by no means massive, but I guess for a 17-year-old, kind of. And it's been really in the last year, maybe, or last couple months that people have started being really mean. And when I say mean, I mean things like telling me that I need to get a nose job or that my forehead is too big or that I need to lose weight or gain weight. I mean, it's something that I think initially certainly got to me because... I did not expect that people were going to go out of their way. Many of them have fake accounts and that nobody follows them and they don't follow anyone, meaning they've created an account specifically to be be mean, mean, to be crass. And I think it got to me initially because I was just shocked at the fact that people would go out of their way to be crude. But on hindsight, the fact that they're doing so much, going to such trouble, maybe they're jealous, maybe they're... I don't know. I think that they probably just need to get something done in their lives and they've taken it out on me. They need more in their lives. Yeah, but I I do want to say that more than those comments, the ones that really hurt, well, not hurt me so much, and I've actually never even talked to y'all about this before, but I get a lot of comments from young girls saying things like, I want to be you, I want to look like you, I want to have your life, and that always makes me sad, and I don't know if it should, but it always makes me sad in that, because obviously social media is such a smokescreen. I mean, I, you've seen me when I've just rolled out of bed. I'm not going to put that on social media. I'm not going to put that out there on Instagram or, or Yeah, we all put a filtered life out exactly. there. Exactly, and so it just makes me a little bit sad that sometimes people will look at my feed and think, gosh, she has it all together, because anyone who knows me knows that I don't, and I don't know that anybody does. Yeah, nobody does. Yeah. Except maybe Michelle Obama. 
(laughs) She seems like she's she's got it all. Yeah, she's got it all together. Recently, there was a picture that you posted on Instagram that your father and I were like, we said to each other, I showed it to Jim and I said, Jim, do we need to talk to Hilton? Because this is a really kind of provocative picture. And so, (laughs) I mean, what's funny is that To y'all, I think perhaps you think it's provocative, but actually I'm pretty covered up. It's just maybe, I don't know, the stance. But it's funny, your listeners need to know that after dinner one day, I was fully just, you know, I was going to go off and do whatever, walk the dog probably. And I was called back to sit back down and I was asked, what was your motivation in posting this picture? What was your purpose in posting this picture? Which made me laugh because I hadn't had any motivation. I just thought it was like any other picture that I've ever posted. I just thought I looked okay in it. So, but yeah, that's the kind of parents they are, which I love them for. I mean, you look great in the pictures, just it was more revealing than ones you've done in the past. But I know compared to what a lot of young women are doing and young girls, it it wasn't that bad. So I also know that you've had a couple of proposals on Instagram. Did you tell your father about this? Well, that's just with people who've like created fan accounts or done stuff like that for my sister and I. Proposals are more on Chinese social media. Like Billy Billy? Yes, Billy Billy, where we have a greater following than on Western. You have, you have like 200,000 followers on Billy Billy down there. More, I think more. La- last we checked, I think we have 260,000 followers. Wow, which is that's amazing. Subscribers, which is really cool. But it does, I guess with that, you're just going to get an onslaught of hate and an onslaught of love. And the love has turned out to be... Actually, it's more like mothers offering their sons than sons offering themselves. But anyway, yeah, it's cute. It's funny. So I posted on my Instagram about us doing the podcast together and someone asked if Hilton is going to turn into a full-time influencer. Oh my gosh. No. Well, I, like I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. But right now I'd say if you ask me that, it's a categorical no. There ain't no way. Just because I know I, y'all, you love your time on social media and good for you. You have a cause, etc. But it's just too much for me. No. Okay. So I want to get back to you, Jim. But first, I have one more question for Happy. I wanted to ask her about chirps. Because I think so many of the parents out there and the listeners, they probably don't know about chirps. I've just learned from Hilton. So tell us. Yeah. Gosh. See, I should have known you were going to ask me about this. Chirps is English slang, British slang, slang in the UK. It it basically means like a a guy or a girl that you're talking to, essentially. But not a boyfriend? No, no, not a boyfriend or girlfriend, not something that's progressed to that level yet. So any boy who I talk to is my chirps? Well, no, I feel like it's more, I don't, well, I feel like it's a little bit more than that. I feel like it's progressed a little bit more. It's not quite, it's sort of in the gray area. It's between friend and boyfriend. I have no clue, honestly. If you, you need to talk to one of my friends who's a proper British slang expert, but. So do you want us to tell us if you have a chirps? <laughs> I feel like you should move on, but I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Can girls be chirps? I think so. I mean, to my understanding, I guess. I guess a girl or a boy can be a chirps. Anyone can have a chirps, can chirps. You could chirps. Well, you shouldn't chirps. I don't want to chirp. Please. <laughs> you can chirp with me, baby. I don't know. Whatever. Two of y'all can chirps. Before we proceed, let's take a quick break. Jim, we've discussed how in a perfect world, our daughters shouldn't marry until they're at least 26. And in your book, A Letter to My Daughters, you write that Hilton and B should never follow a boy 
that the boys should follow them. And in your lifetime, you've seen a major evolution on gender equality and equity with women. Today, smart, educated women are self-sufficient, no longer needing a man to take care of them, instead looking for a genuine life partner. So how is this going to change economies and markets? Well, it already has and it already is. You know, in Asia, for instance, there's a shortage of females. The birth rate, there's just not enough uh, females. Uh, and a thousand years ago, by the way, in, in Europe, there was a shortage of females. And the status of women rose dramatically. Women ran companies, ran city-states, etc., because there was a shortage of women. And when there's a shortage of anything, it, the value goes up. And that's now happening in Asia. And, you know, it's changing economics, law, Divorce rate is booming in Asia because, you know, women realize if you're not nice to me, go. There are plenty of other people around and same with employers. So it, it is already the status of women is changing either because of the shortage or because of what's happening. It has happened in the West. No, it's having a dramatic effect. The birth rate is down in the West, especially and in Asia, because women now realize, hey, I can have a different life. And they should. And Hilton and B, our other daughter B, I don't think I said 26. I said 28. <laughs> I said I'm going to lock them up. I'm gonna, no, no, 26 is too young. I was trying to well, lock them upstairs until they're 28. Initially, initially, the rule was I could not even date until university. So they've certainly gotten a little bit more lenient. I haven't. <laughs> not until you're 28. Okay. So my first boyfriend is going to be my husband. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You don't have to get married when you're 28. I'm just saying you cannot get married until you're at least 28. All right. Well, I think she should have some boyfriends before. And I actually think women, we've been pushing marriage back further and further. So I... I certainly do not want you to marry your first boyfriend. I don't want you to have a first boyfriend. (laughs) But if you do have boyfriends, I don't want you to marry your first one. All right. Maybe I won't tell you, but all right. No matter what you do, don't marry your first boyfriend. Okay. But you'll tell me. That's what matters. And Hilton, I know your father has taught you so much about history. Many times, another Instagram question was how Jim parts his knowledge to his daughters. And one of the things he does is before bed, sometimes he will give a history lesson. And he's done this often with Hilton. So Hilton, for you, I wonder your favorite era in history. And also, do you think his teaching has led to that interest, uh, your interest in politics? Gosh, my favorite era in history. Well, the most interesting story that my dad has ever told me, uh, the one sort of cemented my love for history initially was the idea of how Hitler made the same mistake as Napoleon in going into Russia in the dead of winter. And even despite his advisors telling him not to, I think that part of history... The Second World War is one that's really fascinating, very riveting indeed. But that story, I mean, you talked about stories before bed that turned into bona fide history lessons. That was the first one that I ever remember and probably will remember forever. And he also, he often says, don't make the same mistakes as history. You have to study history so that you know about mistakes that have made in the past. I mean, that applies to the world, but also personal life. And Hitler and Napoleon mirroring each other. That was the first thing that made me think, gosh, history really is something that I would love to study. Right. Well, I think for too many people, history begins the day they're born. And so if you don't know history, then that's obviously a problem. And so do you think that him doing that with you, telling you about history and you starting to read history and really being fascinated by it, did that lead to your interest? Because I know you're super keen on politics now. Do you think that was kind of a segue? 
Probably. I mean, I never really studied political history. In fact, I never really have studied political history. I'd love to one day in greater depth. But I think my love for politics was more kickstarted by 2016 election, which is, I mean, history, but very, very recent history. And I just felt like anything that excited me and infuriated me and riveted me at the same time could be something that I would devote heart and soul to studying and learning about. Yeah, well, the next election in the U.S., you will be able to vote. I know, in the midterms next year. I am so excited. Most people are excited to turn 18 so that they can, I don't know, do fun stuff. But I am really excited to be able to vote. Well, there's so many women raising their voices around the world in politics and in business. So how do you feel about Kamala Harris, our female woman of color vice president in the U.S., the first in history? I think she was the most exciting part of the ticket. I think more so than you know, getting rid of our previous president, who is certainly not progressive in terms of female rights, shall we say. I think more in terms of getting rid of him, it was more about ushering in not just another old white guy, but someone who was really dynamic and exciting, first Asian American, first African American, first female person in the White House who was really representative of the United States as we know it today. That made me cry and laugh in equal measure. Just, it made me feel like I could do anything. And I'm sure it made every girl in the world feel the same way. Yeah, I think women around the world just kind of rejoiced. Jim, did you ever consider a life of service versus one in the for-profit sector? Service. Service to whom? I think the best thing you can do for the world is be true to yourself. I mean, I could spend a week every month at the soup kitchen, or if I were true to myself and made enough money, I could fund the soup kitchen, which would be a lot better for the soup kitchen for me to go down there and do service. So no, I think people should be true to themselves, develop what they are best at, and that is best for themselves and for the world, including the soup kitchen. And so for your children, if B or Hilton decide to do good versus making money, you're going to be okay with that? Well, as I've said, I have now learned about parenthood that you need to let them pursue what they love, not what you love, what you think is best. I know what's best, but they may not think so. So they need to do what they think is best, even if it's wrong. As you age and your daughters are gaining recognition on CCTV, which is Chinese television, Billy Billy and beyond, I wonder how you feel about them becoming the rock stars and (laughs) kind of pushing you... I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm very, very keen. I would like for them to make me famous. I think that's fantastic. It means they are developing themselves, and that's exciting. I think almost every parent wants their child to be smarter, stronger, you know, more beautiful, right? We want them just to surpass us in every way. I hope mine are richer, too, then they can take (laughs) care of me. (laughs) Send me a check every month. All right, Maybe I'll try every to, week. No pressure, Hilton. <laughs> okay, I'll work harder. Jim, what do you feel is your greatest contribution so far in life? And do you worry how you'll be remembered? No, by far and away, my best contributions are, are Hilton and B. Oh. No, that's the best thing I ever did. What's wrong with you? Well, I had a little bit to do with it. No, okay, fine. <laughs> yes, but yeah, what you and I have done... But as I look back, Hilton and Dee are the the best. Are you worried about how you'll be remembered? Well, I hope everybody remembers I won the boat race. (laughs) (laughs) No, what's the boat race? No, no, it was a joke. Uh, They don't know what the boat race is. Oxford and Cambridge race each other every year on the Thames. And when I was a lad, it was a big, big, big deal. Still is a big deal. But no, no, forget it. It was a joke. (laughs) 
So what, you don't want to be remembered for your three Guinness World Records? No, I want to be remembered for my two children. Okay, got it, got it. Hilton, what are you most proud of in the two of us? Each of us singularly, what are you most proud of? Gosh, you really put me on the spot today. Okay, let me think. Okay, Mommy, I think that I'm probably most proud of, well, I feel like the last two years have been years where you've really just flourished. I mean, you published your book, you turned 50, absolute milestone. You have the podcast, you hit a thousand on TikTok, you have your social media, which is really thriving. I feel like you've done a lot in terms of philanthropy with Singapore Dance Theater, with the museums here, with just all manner of work that you're constantly doing. I genuinely feel like you never, ever, 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 ever stop. And with you, let me think a little bit. Give me a second. Um, the boat race. Yeah, the boat race, sure. I think with you, I'm most proud of the fact that I feel like there's a perception that because A, you're older, B, you're teeny tiny bit successful, and I feel like there's a perception that you could have been a very passive father. And... I think that you haven't been. I think you've been a very engaged and active one. I mean, from the fact that you used to take us to school on a little bicycle, the fact that you used to do, well, still do the history lessons before bed, the fact that you're very hands-on, that you take us to every class that we've ever had, I feel like that's probably what I'm most proud of, that you did not relent or concede to the fact that, to what kind of father people with that you might be. I would say that's when, if you ask me, that's what I'm most proud because Jim, I didn't know what kind of father he would be. And he's been. How old were you father. when I was born? 60. That's really old. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was 65 when B was born. But, that's but, even older. God. But listeners, this is the thing is Jim, I know the numbers sound old, but he's, even when I yeah. met him, he was so much younger than some of the men I was dating because he's just, his mindset is young and he's still so interested in life. And yeah, but you, you are a very good father. Sometimes a better father than husband. Oh, I agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But he's a good dad. Hilton, the best advice you've been given in life? Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. That is, well, both from both of you, but I feel like I do it in the big things. I feel like I might not super succeed. Yeah, we're still working on that one. <laughs> we're still working on that one when it comes to like the more trivial stuff in life, you know? But in terms of the big things, I think that's a good lesson that I've learned. And Jim, what's one thing you've had to learn the hard way? Well, I learned very early that money's not easy. The money doesn't grow on trees. I can remember I grew up in a place where people didn't have much money. And it was a very, very good lesson throughout my life, everywhere I've gone. It's been a lesson that has been obvious and reinforced, but at least I understood it. And the way you grew up, that has been the drive for you to try to be successful so that you would have enough money to pay the rent? Well, I wanted to buy my freedom. No, the most important thing was to make some money so I could buy my freedom and not so I could have cars or planes or boats or anything. So I got to buy my freedom so I could do what I want and didn't have to be nice to people I didn't want to be nice to. <laughs> and when you say buy your freedom and do what you want, you went around the world twice, once on a motorcycle, once with me. You drove across China. You drove across Russia. What else was it that you were trying to buy? What are the things? Well, I wanted to see the world. I wanted adventure. I remember I retired very early because I wanted to have more than one life and I wanted to have adventure. One of the first things I wanted to do was go around the world. I retired when I was 37. I wanted to see the world. 
I very, very much, I didn't want to wake up when I was 85 or 100, still sitting at a computer trying to make money on Wall Street. I wanted to have more than one life. I wanted to have adventure, and adventure included, still does, includes the world. And you were also a professor. Yeah, no, that was great fun. I had no clue that I would be any good at it or that I would like it. I had wonderful, wonderful time being a professor. And now some of your students are super successful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. They don't send me checks, but no, they're very <laughs> successful. It's amazing. Many, I still get notes from people saying, oh, guys, I still remember that class. It was a wonderful class. So I wonder if either of you have a question for me. Mm. I would like to know what we're going to do about the girls' education. Speaking of picking up on the last comment, you know, Hilton is, what are we going to do? We have to help mold her and guide her and be too, especially. How do we do it? I've said before, they have to do what they want, but we must do everything we can. And that is the next very, very important stage, especially for Hilton. One question from each of you. For me, do you have one? I do, I do. What about next season? Who you're going to have? Who are your guests? You had great, great guests this season and good content. What about next season? That's a good one, Jim. Thanks. I guess I'm thinking about Bu Junfang, the filmmaker, you know, Junfang. Also Violet Un, the renowned chef and restaurateur. Kishore Mahubani, the veteran diplomat, academician, and writer. And maybe... Un Shuan, the influencer and actress, and also Patrick Grove, you know, Patrick Jim. He's just listed 250 million SPAC on the stock exchange for his company. So I think I'm still building the season, but there's so many exciting guests out there and I can't wait to bring them on and share more in the second season. I can hardly wait to hear them. Hilton, do you have a question? I do have a question. I feel like it's something you've talked about before, but I don't know if you've ever come to an answer. Do you feel like you're going to write another book? I feel like I have at least one, if not two. About? And one I would like to write about, and I have to wait until B is a bit older, but I would like to write about the blue-eyed Caucasians growing up Asian and how you and B have, you know, you went through the local system and you basically have been Caucasians in an Asian system. And so kind of the Caucasian tiger mom story of your lives here in Singapore. So that's, yeah, that's one of the things. That would probably be a very interesting book because, yes, the experiences that they went through would be very interesting to know about for them too. Pass the Power will continue after the break. So tell me, both of you, is there any trend that you'd like to see disappear? For me, well, I would certainly like to see the animosity that has risen in the U.S. against foreigners, but especially against Asian foreigners. It is so absurd and so ludicrous. The Asians and the Americans worked together and had great prosperity for several decades. And now politicians trying to win elections have stirred up emotion. Throughout history, politicians like to blame things on foreigners because it's very easy to blame people with different languages, food, color, etc. I would certainly love to see that stop. We could all be friends together or we can also shoot each other. I would prefer being friends. 
Hilton, for you, is there any trend? Sure. I feel like I have a sort of philosophical one and then a more fun one. But my philosophical one would be, I think increasingly there's a trend of boys doing science and girls doing the humanities. And I certainly speak as a female who mainly is interested in the humanities, but still I think there's a trend of the world telling us that because of our gender, we should only be doing certain subjects. And I think that's absurd. And increasingly, I mean, you're on the board for United Women Singapore and you work a lot with STEM, with girls, but still, even at my school, which is incredibly progressive, I worry that that trend is something that continue to be perpetuated. And then as for something that's a little bit more... But hold on, hold on. I think that's so interesting because I feel like STEM is being pushed so much And I feel that now it's not the trend and people are trying to educate girls on science, technology, engineering, and math so that they will go into those fields. I think that yes, in the developed world, in places that can afford to do it, in places that have organizations like United Women Singapore working to push STEM on girls, there is certainly a trend of increasingly girls at least being considered for STEM positions, but not just in terms of schools, I think in the rest of the world, if you look at the top engineering jobs, if you look at astronauts, if you think of just even science and finance, you don't see many women. And I think that's still a result of a trend where boys do science and girls do everything else. Right. Well, I had Aisha Khanna on, who is an AI technician and has an AI company. And she was saying that part of it is the fact that there aren't any role models. And so when women look out at, you know, the successful women in the world, you're not seeing them. So hopefully that's going to change. So your other trend? My other trend is I don't like bucket hats. (laughs) <laughs> you need a more bucket hats. Do you know what a bucket hat is? I don't know what a bucket hat uh, they're is. They're terrible, but bucket hats are increasingly popular, and I feel like that's a trend that should I go away. I would run and get one, <laughs> whatever it is. No, they're so popular right now, and you don't like stuff that is popular. I you like I to be contrarian. I certainly don't like what's popular. Yeah. Jim is certainly a contrarian. Jim, what can't you do well but wish you could do well? Play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Let's see. Speak Mandarin. I guess the thing that I would wish, a, the regret is I wish I spoke Mandarin. Have Maybe you ever that's had a one, reason, one reason I had taught my children Mandarin. Have you ever had a lesson? I'm sure I've had a lesson, yes, but nothing. I mean, I've tried to teach I, him. It's not as though I ever sat down and said, okay, I'm going to learn Mandarin, no. I've tried to teach him, but he's tone deaf. So Yeah, well, listeners, let me tell you something very funny. Happy said he's tone deaf. When Jim and I first started dating, we were in New York, and he took me to this place in Harlem, which had a big band playing. And so we were dancing to the big band, and I had been, I've danced since I was three years old. I've always been a dancer. And so when we were dancing, I saw that Jim could not feel the beat. I mean, he wasn't moving to the beat. And I was like, don't you feel the beat? And he's like, what beat? And I'm like, don't you feel, I mean, you could, I can hear the beat and he can't hear the beat. So, so when I was pregnant with Hilton, I played music all the time. I was so worried she was going to come out and not have any sense of beat like Jim, but. My girls have a much better (laughs) sense of tone and music than I do. There's no question about that. Thank goodness you got your mother's sense of hearing. Hilton, what do you think adults get wrong about teens? There's this perception amongst adults that teens are constantly talking back, but we're not talking back. All we're doing is answering your questions and then immediately it's interpreted as sass. We're not being sassy. We're just trying to make our case and defend ourselves, which I guess could be interpreted as disrespect, but it ain't. It's just us stating our case. (laughs) I hear you, but sometimes it's sass, I assure you. 99.9% of the time it's not. Hilton, what's one thing people do not know about you? That you're a closet 
TikToker, but you never post them? <laughs> maybe that I have a lot of drafts. Actually, no, maybe I'd say that I feel like people think that I'm, I don't know, I've been told that I'm poised, but the number one insult that my mom is throwing at me is that I'm a little bit of a klutz, but I'm not really a klutz. It's just that I, yeah. I is that an insult to say you're a klutz? Yes, it's categorically an insult. Well, you're a little bit. I don't think you're a klutz. I don't think I'm a klutz either. Thank you. I agree. But my mother doesn't. She is poised, but sometimes she doesn't think about the actions have consequences and she'll do something and then it like spills everywhere. And yeah, but that happens like once in a blue moon. Okay. Obviously, I'm the worst mother in the history of the world. (laughs) I remember she was always just on the stage and she was a star. That has nothing to do with being klutzy. I say you're not a klutz. Yeah. Okay. So, Jim, what's one thing people don't know about you? Well, I guess they don't know how much I regret. The the, the biggest mistake in my life is that I didn't stay in Asia in the 80s. I mean, I went back to New York and had a fantastic life and fantastic fun. Went around the world twice. But as I look back on my life, I guess the only mistake, the mistake I made was I didn't stay in Asia in the 80s when I knew what was happening. I lectured and broadcast all over America the rise of China. I knew it, but I didn't do anything about it. Don't think I didn't have a good time back in New York and with my life. But I look back, I guess my biggest mistake, my only mistake in that regard, the only mistake in my life of any consequence was that I didn't stay in Asia in the 80s. Well, I'm glad you didn't stay because we wouldn't have met. And then I wouldn't be here. What would you do without me? I would not have Hilton. I would (laughs) not have B. I would not have Mommy. I would not have anything worthwhile. What are you both reading? I'm reading Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which is just a really cool book by an extraordinary Nigerian author who I love. Yeah. Well, I, I read many hours a day, but it's newspapers and news and current events. He hasn't read a book in like 20 years. Well, that's not honest. an accurate statement, but I'm constantly reading I guess if you ask me, I will tell you what, uh, there's a book on my pile that I want to read about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln because it was a, a big, big event and a big plot. It wasn't just some guy. But most people, if you read American history, and most people don't, but if you do, you think it's this guy who climbed up and shot Lincoln. No, it would, there were lots of people involved, and it was quite an elaborate thing that was going on, and a, a, they had what they thought were great reasons. Hilton, I thought you were reading the Bill Clinton, James. Oh, well, yeah, I'm reading that one too, but that one's a little bit more frilly. It's, it's basically just after Bill Clinton stepped down from being president, he and a sort of action thriller type writer, James Patterson, wrote a book called The President is Missing, which is really interesting because I like politics a lot and it has a lot of insights. It's, it's obviously, it's fiction, but it has a lot of inside information about, you know, how a president is protected in the Secret Service and like his relationship with the Speaker of the House and the Senate. And yeah, I quite like it, but it, it's a little bit more frivolous, so I didn't mention it. A book that I've read that I really like and I hope Happy will read, I know Jim will not, is it's called Think Again by Adam Grant. And he talks about how most of us kind of get to a point in our lives where we don't want to move our position on things. And it's it's the worst thing we can do as human beings because we have to constantly just rethink and look at the, the facts in order to view a situation properly. I feel like you should make him read that. I think you might need that. Well, I mean, I, I changed my view about children. Here you are. Look at you. Monumental. And look at your sister even more. Mm. That's even more evidence that I changed my view. Okay. Dramatically. What, what are the three things you cannot live without, Jim? Hilton, <laughs> Mommy, B. Good answer. Bella. 
And doggy. <laughs> and the dog. He, he still calls her doggy. He still never called her Bella before a day in her life. Hilton, the three things you cannot live without? I would say, oh gosh, friends, family, and it's a bad to say my phone, but technology, just because I think it does so much for us and connects us so much. The most adventurous thing you've done in your life, Jim? Hilton. I mean, I went around the world twice, you know, Guinness Book of Records, blah, 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 made some success in my career, but no. I didn't want to do it. I told you, my whole life I had been against children, adamant, many reasons, many discussions with many people. So it was a big, big, big adventure, big leap of faith, and here she is. It was very successful. So successful you had, we did it again with B. Yeah, I did it again, as I say. The proof is that I went and did it again. Why didn't you have a third child? Well, your mother was getting a little older. <sighs> as were you. <laughs> I don't have a guy. I'm not old. Oh, you're not old? I was 39 when B was born. Okay, got it. Yeah, makes sense. Hilton, yes. the most adventurous thing you've done in your life? Mount Kilimanjaro. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with my mother at 15. It was her 50th birthday present, her third time climbing it, my first, and I never need to do it again. But Mount Kili in Tanzania. When we got to the top, I was so excited for her, and I was talking about how she could do it again, and maybe she you know, would do Everest one day, and she was oh. like, Mother, I have done this. And never doing it again. Yeah. Important cause for you, Hilton? Education. Well, my family and, yes, education. But what money we give to charity mainly goes to education. But my family and is much arts. more. Well, yes, to the arts too. But, but the arts, I consider that partly education as well. Good for you. I like that answer. Hilton, your favorite drink and who, dead or alive, would you like to have one with? Well, officially 18, I guess I'd say a gin and tonic, and I would have it with, well, I don't know if this would be appropriate to have with her, but Catherine Graham, Washington Post, because I'd love to ask about how she mustered up the courage to do what she did. Maybe I should have a coffee with her instead, not a G&D. I loved her biography. That was so good. Was it an autobiography or a biography? I think she wrote it. It was an autobiography. It was fantastic. Jim, your favorite drink and who, dead or alive, would you like to have one with? Well, Unico, a Spanish wine, uh, is fabulous. Barolos, the Italian wines. I would love the, uh, the Italian wines and the Spanish wines don't get proper uh, publicity or public reputation. I guess what I'd really like to do is when Hilton and B are both of age, we can all drink wine together, you know. That would be the best. When they're old enough, we could all drink good wine together. I've enjoyed having you both here. And I want to know before you leave, if there's any parting words you want to add to pass on the power to our listeners. Do your homework. Listen to Pass the Power and learn about life. Live life with passion and only do what you know will bring you happiness, I think. Great. I think we've had some fun and wisdom imparted here today, and I appreciate you both being with me. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Hooray. Hallelujah. Your time is precious, and I'm so grateful you've listened to this week's Pass the Power podcast. Already in season one, we've heard from the likes of Professor Tommy Coe, SGX CEO Lo Boon Chai, Tan Sushan of DBS, and Janice Wong, the award-winning pastry chef. We've covered everything from what employers are looking for in new hires to the importance of education and walking the talk on gender equality. The rest of this season is just as exciting, I assure you, with wise words coming fast and furious to pass 
the power on to you. Since I'm new at this, please help me grow these conversations of hope by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and click the follow button on Spotify. From Spotify, please share my podcast onto your own Instagram stories. And don't forget to follow me on Insta at I am Paige Parker. Join me on the next episode as we pass the power. Oh, 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 oh